name Shipston of course comes from Sheepwash Town. I think it was Shep Washington in um, Saxon times. I used to run them through the river. I think yeah, to... Dirty fleeces are no good of course. Yeah. I mean, they weren't very well washed but they cut the worst, <laughs> got the worst of it off I suspect. <laughs> Welcome to Shipston on Stour. I'm Jane Markham and we're in the company of Mike Ashley and Dick Burge who over the past 40 years have built up a remarkable knowledge of the town. Because there was a ford long before the bridge was built. The bridge wasn't built till about 1268 when the town's given a market charter by Henry III. They were founder members of the Shipston History Society which started back in 1965 and they're now joint curators of a museum packed full of artefacts and memories. Like the old school bell. So there are a few people who have bad memories they of your bell. Been, yes, we've got one chap comes in and he winces every time you ring the bell. If the bell was ringing and it stopped ringing before they got there, their backside was treated. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were beaten soundly for being late. We'll pass the scene of those memories, the old board school where the bell used to hang a little bit later. We're following the town's Heritage Walks map, which you can download from the internet, you can find at the library on Church Street, at the museum on summer weekend afternoons, or from certain shops in the town. I can't promise you'll be able to keep pace with us, but I can assure you, you'll know a lot more about Shipston when you leave than when you arrive. Well, we'll start standing at the junction of the High Street and Market Place, where, until the early 19th century, there would have been a Tudor building called the Range. We're standing facing down the High Street. To the left, as we stand with our back to the Range, was the old Market Hall, which sadly uh, was demolished in the 19th century, rather like Chipping Camden, which, of course, still exists. And then beyond that, down the centre of the road in Market Place, was uh, shambles. Small businesses and shops and a sort of ramshackle affair. Most of these stalls in Market Place were butchers. And being on a bit of a slope, and killing was done on the spot. So the whole street would have been running in blood and gore. <laughs> There's a photograph that I know that you have in your collection. Uh, that, that really illustrates what it would have been like on Cattle Market Day as we stand here and look down the high street? Yes, as we look south from the range, uh, along the bottom would have been a, a row of cottages called Wiggington's, which in fact is run as a school by the Wiggington family. But between here and those cottages, there'd be long lines of carts, and uh, the auctioneer walked down the carts, and the cattle were both sides. And in fact, the high street was pretty full of animals. A lot of onlookers, uh, the farmers themselves... Uh, and, and their labourers and their children and everybody. It was a bit of a day. And, of course, they all repaired to the George Hotel when it was all done. Which is a fine hotel, which has uh, un been undergoing some renovation, I think, but, but quite key to the town. Oh, yes, it's been a very important hotel. Before the Second World War, it was well established as a venue for people from Birmingham and other cities who came out for hunting, shooting and fishing. And also on the roof of the George Hotel, up on the right-hand side, was where the old town fire bell used to be. Fire has been disastrous for Shipston on two occasions in its history, of which more later. The bell had remained there for years. About 25 years ago, the roof was being repaired and the bell disappeared. You can see the chain guide opposite the bottom of this gutter. Can you see? Yeah. In the, well, it came down there and on the end of it was a black handle. 
and, and a chap walked in the museum, what, 15 years ago and said, I thought you might like this. I said, well, what's that then? He said, it's the, the handle off the bottom of the fireball. <laughs> well, why are you doing it? He said, well, when, when, war, when peace was declared in 1945, he said, we all had a real celebration, he said, and he came off in the hand. And before we leave the high street, there's what's now Sandra's dress shop, an 18th century building belonging to John Hart. You can see the stone bearing his initial, J.H., and it's dated 1731. John Hart, of course, was the founder of the Shipston plush weaving industry, which flourished as a cottage industry right up until the mid-19th century. I found a, a bit written in 1770. Uh, Thomas Sanders, who made an engraving of, of Shipston, said, 60 years ago, Shipston had a considerable manufactory of shag carried out by John Hart, Esquire, High Sheriff of the County of Worcester, yeah. in the year 1739. <coughs> Since his death, the trade is lost. Today, as in 1770, the poor are very numerous, yeah. which I think rather yeah. says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, like, like a lot of market towns, Shipston has waves and troughs, and in, indeed that, that had occurred, occurs in this century and indeed uh, the 20th century. We've got some photographs of the sort of 1880s where you can see poverty and the, the very fact of the buildings behind, they're boarded up, they're scruffy, and the people are badly clothed and they look miserable. And There were two main reasons for the poverty in the mid uh, 19th century. One, of course, was the, the decline of the plush and shag industry, and two was the building of the London to Birmingham um, railway. And prior to that, Shipston was at, on an important coaching route. With the drop-off in the coaching trade, of course, Shipston lost an awful lot of revenue. It's interesting because we sometimes think of the railways opening up and, and bringing prosperity, but it happened, sounds like it happened the other way round for a town like this. I mean, Shipson did have a railway of sorts from a very early date. And that was a, a branch of the Stratford and Morton Horse Tramway, which opened in 1826, and the branch to Shipson was built ten years later. And that was basically for goods. But at one time, the enterprising landlord of the George had a ordinary railway carriage adapted for use by horse haulage and he ran a passenger service. We've got in the museum uh, remains of bits of rail and things of the horse-drawn tramway and indeed bits of the, of the steam railway. Let's walk down Marketplace through where the shambles would have been. There's, there's quite a, a narrow exit here. It was, it was well enclosed, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It, yeah, it had to be quite quite keen to come into Shipston, yes, we did. <laughs> we could have closed the city walls quite easily. Yeah. We're going to make a U-turn and go up Sheep Street, but while we're standing here, we, we talked about the cattle uh, on High Street. It was pigs here. Pigs down there, yes. We photographs of, of pigs in, in, uh, with the hurdles around them holding them in, and that's where, that's where the pigs were sold. About 200 yards up Sheep Street were three in a row, of the 20-plus pubs recorded in Shipston in the late 19th century. Chris's haberdashery was the harrow. Next to that, the optician's was the plough. And above that, the needlework shop was the black dog. And then two doors up, of course, you've got the bell. I always like to think that Shipston are good drinkers. <laughs> and it was in the bell, when he was getting on in years, that Fiddler, or Fid Sturt, worked. 
He came from a long line of Shipston musicians and Fid was instrumental in helping re-establish the Morris dancing side in the neighbouring village of Ilmington back in the 1970s. And this music is Sturch's piece, which is played and danced in his honour. Now, as Sheep Street opens out, lots of the buildings seem to have their 18th century date marks. If you go into the High Street, which was largely destroyed by fire, then these plates are not there, although John Hart's is there, but basically it's Sheep Street was untouched by either of the fires. Therefore, the owner's stones uh, are still intact, and, and there they are. Now, we haven't talked about the fires yet. There were two catastrophic fires, weren't there, over the, over the centuries? The, um, the Great Fire of 1478 pretty well destroyed the whole centre of the town. I think it was 50 houses burnt. With the great predominance of timber and thatch, it must have been an absolute inferno. Most of the properties between the church and Mill Street apparently escaped. When was the second big fire? The second fire was in 1726. According to accounts, 70 or 80 houses were destroyed in that. Again, Sheep Street escaped, probably due to predominant westerly winds, which would have carried the fire downhill. A Daniel Parry at Barchester actually manufactured fire engines at that time, and he reckoned that his two engines, coupled with a couple belonging to the town, and mind you, these would have only been sort of portable engines, large squirts probably attached to a, a big tub, maybe on wheels. He said that was um, instrumental in the majority of the town being saved. And, and as we walk up Sheep Street, there are the classic fire insurance marks. But what, what are we looking for? They're copper plates, and they're impressed with the various signs, like, you know, a, a sun or a Britannia or whatever... Uh, and underneath usually a number which uh, signifies these people have, uh, have paid their dues. So if you didn't have that mark and your house was on fire, you, you were in trouble, were you? Well, that's, <laughs> that's the theory behind yeah. it. I can't believe that the engine turned up and said, no, you're not with us, and charged off again. I don't, I don't think they were that inhuman. There was a local blacksmith, John Hand, who was appointed engineer. Yeah. Yeah. He sort of looked after the thing, kept it oiled and work in order. And I suppose you just had to go and get volunteers to haul the thing out and, and yeah. pump if there was a fire. It's always relied on uh, volunteers, though, because when, uh, when the, the proper horse-drawn job, uh, when they arrived at the fire, I mean, they, they had to hire local help to pump. So it's always relied, as indeed the firemen themselves were volunteers. We've never had a paid fully paid fire brigade, but uh, if they went to the villages, they, they ended up with a pumper's ticket, which we've got one in the museum. Half a crown an hour, I think, for pumping. Cool. Mind you, you earned it, because yeah. it, was, it was hard work. We've That's got quite a lot of money, though. We've it? got photographs of them actually in action, yeah. the yeah. fire at, uh, at Newbold in 1914. When the fire bell was, was rung, which was on the chimney of the George, somebody had to go out and commandeer a couple of horses from somewhere. Because after the First World War, there weren't so many horses, and um, they had to resort to um, hauling the engine by motor power. Some of their early efforts, they only attached it by chain, which was, which was a bit lethal. It was all right while you were going. When you stopped, the engine didn't. Numerous little alleyways, aren't there, crisscrossing the town for, as we walk up Sheep Street? It, it's quite a little rabbit warren. It is. It means that you can walk through from West Street through an alleyway by the police station 
which brings you into Sheep Street, you then got uh, on the other side of the road one, two, three uh, old alleyways and one new one, which means you can then walk through any of those to um, Telegraph Street. So you can get across the town on foot quite quickly. They don't seem to be named. Some of the names changed because the locals would say, for instance, uh, that's Jones Alley because Mrs Jones lived on the corner. But long after Mrs Jones died and more locals became local, then the name would sort of change. Because ours is known as Ashley's Alley, only because we live there. But given 50 years, it could be something entirely different, you know. How about your sticks? It'll stick. Ashley's like, Alley's like. a good name, isn't it? <laughs> but some of these, I've got several names, I can tell you, because I looked into it, because they were going to put plaques up. And, it was a bit and you can work out which well, name really no, should have been which. It depends on who you're talking to. Well, we've now reached the end of um, Sheep Street, and if we turn left, Ahead of us is the junction of the Darlingscott Road and Chipping Camden Road. And in 1675, I'll read this for you, a blind widow, Elizabeth Thornett, aged 86, committed suicide by hanging and was buried at this junction here. This part of Darlingscott Road was then called Horse Fair and a grave was possibly discovered when two workmen were digging a trench and human bones were found in 1952. Sadly, the trench collapsed and one workman died and the other being rescued but badly shocked. This sequence of events has led to the story that the unfortunate Elizabeth had been a witch, mm. whereas in fact a, just a poor old blind lady committed suicide. Mm. So it's got a sort of eerie it bit does, like this. There are reports from several people of shadowy figures crossing the road at this point. <laughs> Whether they were... <laughs> Sure of this world or the next. <laughs> Probably coming back from one of the pubs. <laughs> the building uh, in which I live, um, that's got a, a ghost, for want of a better word, who, who marches up and down the corridor. We've never seen him or her, and we don't take any notice. Just thumps up and down the alleyway. The old rectory, which is now being converted into modern flats and was previously the council office, that's got an old lady in black walks about. And, and there are many others. Bell Hotel, they've oh, got yes. one as well, yeah. Used to open the door into the barn. That's right, and the yeah. present occupant of the bell says it's, there's a cold spot on a flight of stairs and and uh, and they've seen this uh, whatever apparition. But I think it's quite nice that we don't, nobody takes any notice of them. None of them are rendered. Now, if you're following the Heritage Walk map, this is the end of Walk 1. Now, there's a bit more walking to do in Walk 2. The places of interest are a little bit more spread out. First, we want to retrace our steps along Darlingscote Road and take a right into Telegraph Street. The top of Telegraph Street is a small area uh, which was the site of the old pound, and there's a notice affixed that says so. Then it's on down Telegraph Street to the trees at the bottom where the road joins Church Street. This is the plantation been there certainly since probably about 1880-ish. We've got photographs at the turn of the uh, 20th century. The, the land actually belonged to a house uh, on the other side of, uh, of, of Church Street. It's called the plantation, but really it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a couple of trees. It's, it's a planting of trees, like, yes, yes. Uh, there was a stream running across, uh, across the road which came down Telegraph Street, and in fact there was a bridge, and it was, that's why the house to the left is now called, well, that area is called Spinner's Bridge. 
and 25 yards up Church Street to the left, a very interesting metal post, an old turnpike mile marker. It originally carried a board down Stratford so many miles, Oxford so many miles. There's only about half a dozen still remaining between Longcompton and and, uh, Stratford. But one of these was outside the old picture house. And when the old picture house was converted into a car showroom, the contractors dug it up, didn't they, and broke it. Fortunately, they were able to have it repaired and reinstated a bit further up the road. All right, so it isn't exactly on the spot it would originally have been. Oh, ten feet. Ten feet. We'll allow ten feet. (laughs) So what was it there for? Explain why it was there Well, it was literally a mile post. And and related to the turnpike, so you would have to pay per mile to to travel. Yeah. There was a a, a toll at Honington Turn. Yeah. I think there was one at Newbold. Yeah. Because the thing was, of course, that between the mile marks there were a limited number of places you could turn off. So they knew how many mile markers you'd come from X to, X to Y. They are quite attractive. They are unique because I think every, every road that was turnpike had its own means of marking the miles. And the one outside the cinema is about, about as complete as most. But none of them have got the board on. There's certainly a board on that one after the cinema was yeah, built. 1912-ish. Yeah. It actually said Oxford and Stratford, I think. If you get a magnifying glass on the photograph, you can see that it clearly that's what it says. Then we're off again, still heading up Church Street. Until you get to the junction of Watery Lane and Stratford Road, um, uh, is on that junction, a little bit further on, on Stratford Road, is in fact the old board school, which took infants and boys and girls. And that served, uh, in fact, right through. My own daughter went there, my oldest daughter went there in, in the 70s. Um, and it's uh, uh, generation upon generation have been there. We've got the War Memorial and the Museum, and we've got the bell. Ah, that bell again. And so to one of the town's great Victorian benefactors, Richard Badger. If you walk along Stratford Road, on the right-hand side you see the Alan Badger Memorial Hospital, Cottage Hospital, which was founded by Richard Badger, who was a prominent and wealthy uh, man by then. He owned the liquor vaults in, uh, in Shipston, and he founded the Alan Badger Hospital in memory of his late wife. And it was a small building, if I remember rightly, the figure was £3,000. And we've got photographs and and, uh, drawings of the original building, but you can still see it, it's the bit that's in the middle. It's been expanded both ways, and and it remains serving the town. I mean, you're very lucky in a town this size to have a a hospital. It isn't a hospital as such. You can dash in with minor injuries, because our local doctors... uh, use it. It's aftercare, I think it's main use now. My eldest daughter was born there, but not my not my youngest, um, because they did have an actual maternity unit there, and that was lovely, because it was a, your child was born there, it was a family do, all the nurses and the sisters knew you, and they knew the baby, and it was all, you know, it was a less factory style thing. It was a very personal thing, mm. and it was lovely. I'm surprised the number we get in the museum. Yeah. You say, oh, I was born there, oh, the Allen Badger. <laughs> We then turn round and retrace our steps back towards Shipston and turn right up Watery Lane, which to the end there on the left-hand side is the oldest pub in Shipston, the Black Horse, and in fact the only thatched building in, in, in Shipston. Granted its first life was in 1540, presumably they brewed beer on the premises. 
then looping round via Station Road onto Church Street again, heading back past the plantation now. We're doing a tour of Shipston and its beautiful sights, and we're pointing out the Texaco garage. Why? A not particularly pretty looking place. When Davis is enlarged the garage that was already on that spot, two workmen digging holes to put the petrol tanks in, the underground petrol tanks, dug up a pot of Roman bronze coins. And according to Bill Davis, who's the only person alive now who can remember them, there was about half a bucket full. Sadly, none have survived. The then Warwick Museum was a privately owned museum back in 1932. And the story goes that two ladies came down, looked at them, took the pot away, didn't want the coins. So the, the owner of the land used to give them away to anybody interested. And I've searched, <laughs> searched for years, even put letters in the paper about them. And nobody's ever come up with any. So that's one thing you'd really like for the, oh, the museum that you haven't got. There are two things Dick would like. The first is one of these coins, not for its value, but for the fact that he could date it and be generally interested in it as a coin. And the other is a photograph of the horse-drawn tramway in action. <laughs> he said he'll retire when he gets that. <laughs> <laughs> St Edmund's Church is, is, is the reason that Church Street's called Church yes, Street, obviously. Yes, the only original bit is the tower, which is 15th century, and the main body of the church was uh, rebuilt in 1855. The architect was a pretty famous uh, uh, well-established architect, um, G Street. It's a lovely church inside. It's nothing, not architecturally sort of uh, inspiring, but it's, you, wherever you sit, you can see the altar and it's a, it's a pleasant, light and airy building. And at the back here, just above the children's section, uh, we're back with John Hart, the founder of the plush weaving industry. Um, perhaps not the catchiest of epitaphs, but quite touching in a way. It just says, <laughs> if you've got good eyesight, considerable improver and promoter of manufacture in his native town, who in the year of 1739 rose to the office of High Sheriff of the county of Worcester. To his memory, this monument was erected by his nephew. Died in 1747, aged 73. Uh, there's an interesting thing about the church, of course. It, there used to be a thing called the curfew bell, or the bed bell. And it was rung, I think it's six in the winter and seven in the summer. Or There was a time, anyway. And it just told uh, that if you were a youngster, you were supposed to be home by then. The Women's Institute actually funded the bloke to go and ring it, but it's not rung now. But I don't know why, but it's not rung anymore. So when, when, over what sort of period of time would that have happened, do you think? Oh, it's been the last ten years it's been rung, isn't it? Mm. Presumably told the workers out in the fields that what time it was, you know. In my time it was always called the bed bell. That was because the youngsters were supposed to be on the bed. But it's also been called the curfew bell. And so to the river where those Shipston sheep were washed. Past the Friends Meeting House, now the library, past the Horseshoe Inn and bearing left onto Mill Street, we get to the bridge. Prior to the 13th century, there wasn't any bridge. You had to rely on the ford. But in times of flood, of course, it would be impassable. So uh, after the market charter was granted in 1268, the first 
bridge was built. Probably quite a narrow structure, a pack horse type bridge. Heavy vehicles would still have gone through the ford. And by the 1600s it got in such bad condition, the townspeople were complaining and they built the present bridge, or half oh, of it actually, because it's actually two bridges built together. If you look well, underneath, you, yeah. there's a clear division of different nests. They're not lined up, are they, really? No. <laughs> yes. There was another bridge added alongside in 1806. There was a date stone in the middle of the bridge. One half said Warwickshire, one Worcestershire, because Shipson, of course, was in Worcestershire. The other side of the river was part of Warwickshire. When the bridge was repaired back in the 1960s, the date stone was actually taken out and thrown in the river. Fortunately, our then History Society president happened to be standing by, Len Bradley, and made them fetch it out. And they did. Len was like that. It's got to be repaired if we get round to it one day. In recent years, the weight of the traffic has caused the two halves of the bridge, the old and the modern, which were built against one another, to start separating. So they had to put iron tie rods through. On the, on the left-hand side, you'll see a stile. If you go over the stile and walk down onto the river bank, you'll see, looking onto the bridge, the two definite bridges. So we need to cross over the bridge if we uh, want to get and have a look underneath it. But we, we mentioned the mill just a second mm. ago. I imagine a, a very, an important part of the town at some point. It was mentioned in the Doomsday Survey, so um, it's been there since at least Saxon times, and operated until the beginning of the Second World War. The, the race is still there, and, and bits of millstone and that sort of thing, they're all still there. The big problem, of course, is that area is very prone to flooding. They've been flooded out at the mill many times since it began the hotel. It goes up and down very quickly. Next, the liquor vaults, mentioned earlier in relation to Richard Badger. With your back to the bridge, walk up towards New Street. And cross over to the right-hand side of the one-way system. And ahead of you, you will see um, the Sheldon liquor vaults. The Sheldon liquor vaults. This, is, this town has so many associations with alcohol. <laughs> yes. Um, these are wonderful, wonderful. They've been there, it seems like, forever. And the most wonderful cellars full of wines in store both belonging to the company and to individuals who've, who've paid for donkey's years to have wine stored down there. And now and again they do have a wine tasting uh, thing and you can go down the cellars, which incidentally run under the road. Oh, right, yeah, literally so, under the oh road? Yes, yeah, so extremely large, yes. Oh, I mean, were they originally built as, as wine oh, cellars? Yes, yeah. yes. So yes, they're purpose-built? Yes. This is Richard Badger again in the Richard beginning. Badger, yes. It's been quite a feat of engineering to build in the first place, wasn't oh, it? I don't know, sir. We've got huge lorries going across the top of it, haven't we? Although the vaults aren't open on a regular basis, the wine shop is. And on the final leg of our walk, we're heading out of town on New Street. And on the right-hand side, there's the Methodist Chapel. And then a little bit further on, on the corner of the junction of New Street and Old Road, sometime called Back End, is the girls' school. And that was the predecessor of the board school that we saw before? Yes, for girls, though. For girls only, yeah. Being used for all sorts of things. There's a move afoot right at this moment to turn it into a youth club. And the very last stop on the whole of these two walks is the old police station. Which is on the right-hand side as you come down Old Road. It was actually where the police constable lived, but there was a sort of lock-up where he threw the odd... <laughs> 
through the uninebriated. The uninebriated. What's it? Yes. So in terms of chronology, this is the because there seem to be a number of, of police buildings in the town. Yeah, this is the oldest that's one. The, that's the. It's not actually the first lockup because there was a lockup in Marketplace, wasn't it? That's right by the pigs, where the pigs were sold. But again, it was just a shed. I think if they got some drunk that got himself a bit stroppy, they threw him in there overnight. But that was the lock-up by, by in Marketplace. Then you had that one in Old Road. And then you had the Victorian, the proper Victorian building, behind which is the Shipston Courthouse. Right, and that's, that's in Sheep Street. That's and that's got proper cells with peepholes in the door and bench for them to sleep on and all the other... Although it looks remarkably like a private house nowadays. It is. But they've kept it the cells. Well, cells are still there, yeah. yes, yes. You could, I, well, the building would fall down if you moved those. They're downstairs. Yeah. I came across um, a newspaper account, I think it was the uh, 1980s, where a girl actually managed to lock herself in one of the cells. Did she? Oh. They were organising a jumble sale oh. in the old courthouse, and she yeah. went exploring. She shut the door. <laughs> and uh, the door slammed behind, and it was an automatic lock. Yeah. And they couldn't find any keys. <laughs> they had to send for the fire brigade who had to use heavy equipment to get her out. Our thanks to the traditional Ilmington Morris men for permission to use the music. This is a Podcats production.